Take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55. And uh, I want to talk with you about God's abundant pardon. How many of you are glad that God has pardoned all of your sins? Does you even know what that means? It means he has taken them out and absolutely forgiven you. For over 200 years, the presidents of the United States, starting back in 1789, have used their powers and they can absolutely pardon anyone they want to guilty of any offense. Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution of the United States authorizes the President of the United States to grant pardons involving, quote, offenses against the U.S. And the primary goal of that, of those pardons, was to ensure more fairness in criminal justice system and to avoid abuses by prosecutors. It might interest you that Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, issued 3,000 796 pardons. That was more than anyone else, any other president of the United States. One reason is because he was in office for 12 years because it was during World War II. He was in office from 1933 to 1945. So he had more time to give out pardons. But even though he gave out more than any other President of the United States. I know somebody who has pardoned more people than any President of the United States. Amen. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. In our text today, I'm gonna, we're going to go through every verse, but I want you to really see one of the greatest verses about the pardoning of sin. Isaiah 55, verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. It's so good. Would you read it with me? Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You know, it's wonderful when the Bible gives you the title of your sermon, all right? Let's talk about God's abundant pardon. First of all, I want you to observe with me what I call the call to God's abundant pardon. Let's put that on the screen if we can. The call to God's abundant pardon. I'll give you just a moment to write that down because I know that you don't have an outline, all right? But uh, write that down quickly if you will. God is calling out. He wants to pardon people. Notice, first of all, that God's call to abundant pardon is a universal call. He invites everyone to come to himself. Look at verse 1. Ho, that means wake up. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come by and eat. Isaiah is the prophet here speaking, calling God is calling through Isaiah sinners to come back to him. If you're thirsty, 
come to the waters. If you don't have any money to buy, don't worry about it. Come. If you have no money, come. Buy and eat. And notice he's calling everyone. It's a universal call. Aren't you glad that God calls everyone to his son, Jesus Christ, and he wants us to thirst, to have our thirst quenched by the water of the living water of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 4, verse 14, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The last chapter in the Bible, Isaiah or Revelation 22, verse 17 says, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Have you ever taken in the Holy Spirit when you repented of your sins and believed Jesus was the only one that died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and you received him into your life and the Holy Spirit came to live within you. Do you have that living water today? That's what the Bible's talking about. That's what Jesus was talking about. That's what John was talking about. Aren't you grateful that God says, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You have no money, come by and eat. It's a universal call, but it's also a gracious call. God's call to abundant pardon is a gracious call. It's by the grace of God. Verse 1 goes on to say, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Verse 2. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in abundance. The Lord was inviting the sinful people of Israel to a spiritual banquet. Isaiah spoke for God, inviting them to come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Wine and milk here is a reference to spiritual salvation. God says, I want to give you abundant pardon. From time to time, I'll listen to country music. Does that shock you? And Chris Stapleton wrote a song and sings it about his wife. And he said, I'm a millionaire because of the woman whom I'm married to. He's not talking about money. He's talking about love. And he said in his love song to his wife, Morgan, they say, love is more precious than gold. Can't be bought. Can't be sold. I mean, it's gracious. I got love enough to spare that makes me a millionaire. And how in the world does somebody write something that simple and make so much money doing it, all right? <laughs> Even secular singers know that love is a gift of grace, whether it's human love or God's love. Real love is an act of grace. You don't earn it. You can't earn love. It's not the way it works. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, by grace you've been saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, 
not as a result of work so that no one may boast. Paul said to Titus in chapter 3 of his book, He, God, saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Nobody deserves salvation. I don't. You don't. No one does. I heard a great acronym for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God gives you grace. It's a gracious call to have God's abundant pardon. And then the call of God's abundant pardon is also an eternal call. It doesn't, it doesn't just kind of go away. No, it stays, it lasts forever. He says in verse 3, incline your ear, come to me, listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Incline your ear. You know what that means? When the Bible says, look, look at me, I want you to see what this means. It means like this. You say, well, I don't have to listen. Like, well, the older you get, the more you will, all right? What'd you say? God says, incline your ear and come to me. Come to me with an incline. I want you all in. I want your full attention. Listen that you may live. God doesn't want you to die. He wants you to live. Then God shared why this pardon was so important. He said, I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. I'm going to promise you that I'm going to save you, and you're going to promise me that you're going to follow me. It's going to be permanent. The salvation that Jesus gives is eternal. It is permanent. He doesn't take it away. Once He gives it to you, it's yours. He says in John, Jesus said in John 10, verses 27 and following, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. It is an eternal call. Look at me. When you get saved, Jesus takes you in His nail-scarred hand, and the Father covers you with His sovereign hand, and the devil cannot do anything about your salvation. You're saved forever. You're not holding on to God. God's holding on to you. And when you act up, He'll straighten you out. Amen? He can also take those hands and spank you when you need it, all right? But He's holding you in His sovereign hands. Oh, praise His name. The call to God's abundant pardon is a universal call. He calls you, everyone, to come. A gracious call. You don't deserve it. And an eternal call. It's an eternal covenant. Notice secondly now, not only the call to God's abundant pardon, but let's look now at the conditions for God's abundant pardon. We'll read these starting in verse 4. If you want God's abundant pardon, 
You have to hear his call and repent. Write that down. I've got to hear his call. And when I hear it, I've got to repent. That's the condition for God's abundant part. God's not going to just pardon you and let you live in sin. No, you've got to hear his call and you've got to repent. Look at verse 4. Behold, I have made him, he's talking about David, King David, a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. He had just mentioned David in verse 3. You can go back and look at that. God reminded these Israelites of the good old days. He said, do you remember the good old days with King David? That was the highest point in Israel's history. Some say, oh no, Solomon was. I don't think Solomon was. I think Solomon with a thousand wives, I don't see that as the high point of Israel. Now maybe the first part of it may have been, but Solomon messed up big time. You know, David did too, but David repented and God called him a man after his own heart. And God used King David in the past as a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples. He's not talking about Solomon here, he's talking about David. Some of the Jews in, in, in that Isaiah was talking to, some of them, they were in Babylon and they had gotten comfortable in Babylon. I know Christians that are comfortable in this world. We're not supposed to be comfortable in this world. We're not supposed to love this world or the things in this world. For all that's in this world, the love of the, of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, all of it is going to be taken away. You can get real comfortable in Babylon if you're not careful. And so he's saying to them, you need to repent. King David in the past was a witness of the peoples, a leader and the commander of the peoples. And you need to go back to David's time. You need to go back to the good old days and not be comfortable in Babylon. You need to go back to Israel. It's time to leave 70 years of bondage. It's time to go back. Some of them didn't want to go back. In fact, some of them didn't go back. But tens of thousands did. God said, I want you to hear my call and I want you to repent. Verse 5, behold, you're going to call a nation you don't know and a nation which knows you not will run to you because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. The Lord says, I'm the one who blessed you in Babylon, but now it's time to leave Babylon. It's time to return home. Hear my call and repent. And verses 6 and 7 are some of the most famous verses in the Bible on repentance. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You know, some of you think, You've got all the time in the world to repent. You, you think I've got all the time in the world that I need to get right with God. No, you don't. No, you don't. What if today is the last day for you on this earth? What if today is the last time you hear a clear gospel presentation and you have the, the responsibility and the chance right now, the opportunity and the responsibility to receive Christ, and you don't do it. What if some of you who are living in sin don't repent today? You say, well, I'm just going to keep on just a little bit more. I'm just not ready to give up that little sin that I so dearly love. 
God, God's a God of grace. He understands. I want to tell you what he understands is he understands he's going to wear you out if you don't straighten up. You can't keep living in sin and abusing the grace of God. You can't do it. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. You've got a window to respond. Don't waste it. The time to seek God is now. The time to find God is now. He said, I'm right here, right now. Wake up. Today is the day of your salvation. It's time for you to hear. It's time for you to repent of your sin. Look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. And he, the Lord, will have compassion on him and to our God For he will abundantly pardon the wicked, the unrighteous. It's time for the wicked to forsake his way. It's time for the unrighteous to forsake his thoughts. God is calling you and God is calling me, children of God, to hear him and to repent. God is saying, I want to give you my abundant pardon. But these are the conditions you must meet. You must hear my call and repent. Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus said, if you don't repent, you're going to perish. You're not going to spend eternity in heaven. If you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. Jesus said that. And by the way, he didn't just say it once in Luke 13, he said it twice. Peter was preaching after the man had, lame man had been healed. The crowd gathered in Acts 3, 19. He said, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you. You need to repent before you leave this room. The Bible says in Psalm 95, today... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you want God's abundant pardon, you must hear his call and repent. And secondly, if you want God's abundant pardon, there's another condition. You need to acknowledge his greatness and submit. Acknowledge his greatness and submit. Look at verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. God is talking. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. How many of you know that God doesn't always think the way we think? Does anybody know that? God's thoughts don't always coincide with ours. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not always our ways. He thinks better than us. He acts better than than us. And then the Lord gave them an illustration. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. With all due respect, God's thoughts are higher than any politician's thoughts. With all due respect, God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts or my thoughts. His thoughts, like the heavens, are high. 
God says the heavens are higher, greater than the earth. They're above the earth, even so. My thoughts, my ways, I am higher and greater than every human being. Every PhD is less than an 18-month toddler compared to the Lord in their ways and in their thoughts. King David acknowledged God's greatness when he said in 1 Chronicles 16, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. God is greater than you. God is stronger than you. God is smarter than you. And God is better than you in all that is good, right, and holy. And you need to acknowledge that. You need to acknowledge his greatness and just submit to him. You say, well, I want God's abundant pardon. God will give it to you. But there are at least two conditions. And I just gave them to you. You got to hear his call and repent. You got to turn from your sins. And then you've got to acknowledge his greatness and you've got to submit to him. You can't follow God and be proud of yourself. You can't do it. Well, in Isaiah 55 this morning, we've looked at the call to God's abundant pardon, the conditions for God's abundant pardon. Now let's look finally at the consequences of God's abundant pardon. When God pardons us, what happens? Well, first of all, the the first consequence of God's abundant pardon is this. God fulfills His promises. Verses 10 and 11 are some of the most famous verses in all of Isaiah. Verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there without watering the earth, making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now, let's just stop there and let's look at that verse. Look at verse 10. He's talking about the cyclical work of rain. Rain comes, snow comes, and it waters the earth. And when it does, it creates something. It creates crops. Plants start to come up because of the water and the, and the, the rain and the, the snow. And they grow up and they produce seeds to multiply future plants. God says, that's what my word is. My word is like the rain and the snow that comes down from heaven, and they don't return to heaven through all the cyclical function of water. They don't evaporate and go back up in the sky before they water the earth. And what that does is it causes the plants to bear and sprout, which furnishes more seed to the sower and bread to the eater. It's just a cycle. A beautiful cycle. And don't say, well, isn't that amazing? Evolution is wonderful. Forget evolution. Thank God. Thank God. Evolution didn't create that. God created that whole cycle. 
to send rain and to keep things going. That's how it works. He said, even so, verse 11 now, here's the application. My, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. My word is going to be like that water. My word is going to be like that snow. There's going to be, something's going to happen when I speak my word. I don't understand it. But every time you read the word or hear the word, God does something in your life. He does something in your life. It will never, God's word will never return to him empty or void. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. Just like that evaporated rain doesn't return to God. It's doing something. It left behind something on the earth. And God says, when my word is exposed, why do you think the devil hates the word of God? Because it's powerful. It's powerful. It's, it's God's living water. It, 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 it's God's rain. It's God's snow. It blankets people and they change. They can't help but change. Why do you think they want it out of the public school? That's the devil that doesn't want it in the public school. Why do you think they want to shut down churches like Bellevue? Because we preach the Bible. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, you know, what else do you preach? Why would I get up and preach if I didn't preach the Bible? And the word of God, when it goes forth, it's miraculous. People ask me, do I believe in miracles? Oh, I guess I do. I preach the miraculous word of God and it speaks to you and it speaks to me while I'm preaching. It's the word of God. It never returns to God empty or void. Never. It never goes back to God without accomplishing, he said, what I desire without succeeding in the matters for which I send it. God's word goes out of God's mouth through his messenger and it never goes back void or empty. It accomplishes, it succeeds in the matters for which God sent us. I got news for you. When God gives an evangelistic word, somebody's going to get saved. When God gives a warning from his word, somebody's going to be notified. When God gives a word of comfort, somebody's going to be relieved. When God gives a word of instruction, somebody's going to be taught. When God gives a chastising word, and how many of you know God can give a chastising word, amen? Somebody's going to be rebuked and they're going to repent. When God gives an encouraging word, somebody's going to be built up and strengthened and encouraged. It's all through his word. It's all through his word. Don't you ever, don't you ever get involved in a church that doesn't preach and teach the word of God. Just word for word, just go right through it. Memphis needs God's word to come down from heaven and not return there without watering the earth, making it barren sprout, furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Memphis needs God's word to go forth from his mouth, return to the Lord and accomplish what he desires and succeed in the matters for which he said. Memphis needs for us to preach the word of God over it. Memphis needs for us to pray the word of God over it and Memphis needs for us to obey the word of God so they can see that it's real. 
First consequence of God's abundant pardon is God fulfills His promises. The next consequence of God's abundant pardon is this. God gives joyful peace. You want peace, you want joy, you're only going to get it in God and His Word. Look at verse 12. Again, one of the most famous verses in all of Isaiah. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Once again, God's people had been pardoned for their sins. They walked on on in the liberty. They walked on in the liberty of God's joy and peace. Peace and joy go together. When you've got peace, you're joyful. When you've got joy, you're peaceful. It all goes together. Then Isaiah said that nature itself would joyfully worship the Lord. Look at he said. He said, you will go out with joy, be led forth with peace, and the mountains and the hills themselves are going to break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field are going to clap their hands. When those people from Israel left Babylon and came back to Jerusalem and to Israel, all the trees, all the rocks, all the mountains were saying, welcome home. We're glad you're back. Amen. You say, Brother Steve, do you really believe that trees clap their hands? The Bible says they do. You say, do you really believe that the heavens and the earth worship God? Absolutely. Psalm 19 says the heavens proclaim the glory of the God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. What continues to speak? The heavens. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. You can go out at night and look up and see the stars and know that there's a God. They're shouting at you. Somebody made me. I didn't just happen from a big bang. I happened from a big God. I don't believe in the big bang. I believe in the big God. Amen. Amen. You can be wrong if you want to. I'm serious. That to me is one of the most hellish lies we've ever had. Because if you take away the Creator, you take away the Savior. They speak without a sound or a word, their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, remember that? All the people started shouting praises to Jesus. And some of the Jewish people got so mad, their leader said, stop them, stop them. What did Jesus say? He said, hey, I'm not going to stop them. Luke 19, 40, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Jesus said, if you shut these people up, All those rocks over there are going to start praising me because I made the rocks. I made everything here. Oh, God's creation worships the Creator. You know what? We ought to worship the Creator because we are the greatest thing He ever created. Human beings ought to worship the living God. And God, when you worship Him, He will give you peace, joyful peace.
And then thirdly, the final consequence of God's abundant pardon is this. God turns curses into blessings. I'm going to preach a whole sermon on this sometime. Verse 13, instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. And instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up, and it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. We've been working in the yard a little bit, and I looked down yesterday at my shin, and there was blood running down it. And I remember what happened. I was walking through a bush area, And some kind of thorny thing just reached out and grabbed my little leg (laughs) and tore it. God says, I'm going to turn those nettles, I'm going to turn those thorns into a beautiful plant. He's talking about us. Without Jesus, we're nothing but thorns and thistles. Oh, but with Jesus, we can be a cedar. We can be a cypress tree. We can be a tree that can be used for the glory of God. There were no thorns before sin came into the world. We created the thorns. You created the thorns. And you still, some of y'all are still creating thorns in your life. Some of the things that are harassing you are self-made from your sin and your selfishness. You're killing yourself. And God is wanting to take those thorny things out in your life and put in a good plant that will produce good things. Then he said in verse 13, I'm going to change all that. Do you remember a guy named Balaam? Balaam was a preacher for hire. I've known a few of those. They don't do it from a calling. They do it just for money. And there was a king that wanted him to curse the Israelites because they were about to come through his land. And Balaam went up ready to curse them. But when he started talking, all of a sudden his words turned from a curse into a blessing. The guy that was paying him got mad. He said, I told you to curse them. He said, how can I curse those that God has blessed. Did you know that there are Satanists and there are witches and there are warlocks and they are praying against churches like Bellevue? Did you know that? I'm talking about in Memphis, Tennessee. But I got news for you. If we will pray fast seek the Lord and try to obey God and preach and proclaim the word and do the right thing. Look at me. God will turn all of their curses into blessings. And the more they curse us, the more God will bless us. Let's give him praise for that right now. Amen. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. Instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. God turns our curses into blessings. I've always loved the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, always. 
Do you know where that phrase comes from? It comes from the book of Lamentations. How in the world can any great hymn come out of the book of Lamentations? In fact, it comes from Lamentations 3, verse 23. When, I, when Jeremiah said, great is thy faithfulness, talking to the Lord. With Jerusalem burned down all around him, he sat down and said, Great is thy faithfulness. A hundred years ago this year, 1923, a man named Thomas Chislam, he was a Methodist pastor. He wrote hundreds of poems. He sat down, he was a relatively poor man, but he sat down in his little home and wrote the words, to great is thy faithfulness. He didn't know that one day George Beverly Shea would pick that song up and sing it in the Billy Graham Crusades to millions of people. But one of the verses in that song says this, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow Blessings all mine with 10,000 besides. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Aren't you grateful today for God's abundant pardon? Let's give him praise right now. Amen. Amen. Amen.